Diverse voices. Unique sound. Not the same old thing. Different, different. This is NOCO FM. You can change your thoughts and you can change your life. The power to create the life you desire is actually within you already. Dr. Bruce Lipton, stem cell biologist and author of The Biology of Belief, tells us how we can break our habitual patterns of thought and literally reprogram our subconscious mind. Our mind can actually serve us in creating a life with more joy, love, and happiness in it. So join us for this exciting episode. Not only can we learn how to transform our thoughts, but we can literally learn how to transform our lives. This is a Spark. I'm your host, Stephanie James. I began reading you way back when, when the Biology of Belief came out, and it was such a groundbreaking book for me. Um, I just loved it because I'd been a big follower of Wayne Dyer and Louise Hay and had, had always kind of felt that this was true, that when we change our minds, you know, we can change our lives. And then we got. Yeah, let, let, let me just put this addendum in because it's part of what we're going to be talking about. But it's so profound because, as you just said, we change our lives by changing our mind. Uh, just a fact before we even start. The most valid science on this planet is quantum physics. There's been no science tested more and verified more than that science. And I say, so what's significance? I say, principle number one, consciousness is creating our life experience, which according to physics, by definition, changed your consciousness and you change your life experience. So that's from physics, but we'll be talking more on the biological end. Yeah, and I think that's really an important point because for so long, I think it was considered woo-woo, you know, that, that we had any power to change this thing in between our ears, which would then affect our life. So th- this is what's so exciting that quantum physics then can help change, you know, it helps validate that exact thing. It's no longer just a theory or a thought, it's reality. You know what, that, but that reality, interestingly enough, is nearly 100 years old in the biological realm because for nearly 100 years, we have understood something called the placebo effect. And the placebo effect is a belief that heals you. Uh, you put the belief into the doctor, you put the belief into the pill, but you find out that, that the pill was a sugar pill. So what healed you was the belief in the sugar pill. And, and everyone goes, yeah, yeah, that's placebo effect. Interesting enough, having been a professor in a medical school, yes, they, they do spend a few minutes on the placebo in their medical education, but I mean minutes. And then it's like, here it is. Now let's forget about it and talk about pharmacology. And it's like, oh, my God. Uh, uh, and it's more important point, Stephanie, is this. The placebo effect is really the consequence of positive thinking. That's the role of positive thinking. I heal myself because I believe whatever I'm doing is going to heal me. That's it. Most important left out of the whole thing is, so what about negative thinking? And I go, geez, this is what you've got to emphasize. Why? Negative thinking is equally powerful to positive thinking and shaping our lives, but in the opposite direction of a placebo. Uh, medically, it's called nocebo effect. 
And the significance is, as much as a placebo can heal you, a nocebo belief, a negative belief, can create any disease and it can actually kill you if you believe that. And all of a sudden I say, my God, no one talks about negative thinking. I go, well, they should because the majority of our thinking is negative thinking. Well, and I've always felt like insurance companies made a lot of money on that, on being able to predict if someone's parents died at a certain age, oftentimes their children would have also, as they became adults, this preconceived idea that when they got that age, they would also pass away. And well, so were, it's yeah. really interesting. Yeah. It's like part of a program. About. It's part of the program. Uh, and it's interesting because the program in, comes into our lives in the first seven years of our life. Uh, and just to emphasize the nature of cancer, because that's a big deal on this planet, cancer, cancer. And uh, Number one fact, fact. There is no gene that causes cancer. There's not one gene that causes cancer. Uh, the problem that the public has is that the media mixes up two words, and they're two different meanings, but they put them together like they're the same thing. And the two words are causation and correlation. Uh, and so you say, oh, this gene is correlated with cancer. But no, they go, no, this gene causes cancer. I go, no, no, you were right the first time. Cause means the act of, of producing it. There is no gene that we know of that actually causes cancer. Genes are correlated with cancer. And then I go, well, what's the correlation? I say, if you're not living in harmony, this gene can be engaged and you can manifest a cancer. But if you're living in harmony, having the gene doesn't cause any problem at all. So let's say 50% of the women with the BRCA1 gene, as soon as hearing that, it's like, oh my God, I got the cancer gene. And that's a belief system, negative, nocebo, powerful. But the simple truth is this, only 50% of the women with the gene actually express a cancer. No one wants to talk about this. We only talk about the ones that end up with the cancer. I'm more concerned about how did I have a gene and not get the cancer? And it turns out, ah, aha, because having a gene does not cause the cancer. Having a lifestyle that's not in harmony and the gene is correlated with cancer. That makes sense. Let me ask you this then, you know, as you were talking about negative beliefs and how negative beliefs can, you know, express themselves right through, as you're saying, maybe uh, causing the gene to express itself a little bit more. Absolutely. But that's called not genetics. That's the science that we'll talk about ultimately. Epigenetics. Yes. Epigenetics. Yes. But before we get there, I, I think it's really important to help people understand where do these negative thoughts or programs come from? People, you know. <laughs> OK, because it's the most serious thing in the world. Uh, just, you know, an introduction to this is most people have seen the movie The Matrix. And I say, well, you go in a video store and I say, where's the Matrix? Oh, it's in science fiction. And I go, no, the Matrix is a documentary. Everyone's been programmed, fact of life, which we'll talk about. And that and if you stay in the program, your life is an expression of the program. If you get out of the program, then you become the creator of something new. OK, so uh, th this is critical. Everybody's been programmed. And I say, why is everybody programmed? I'll give you a simple answer. Let's say, uh, Stephanie, we go out and we buy a computer today and we bring it home. You open it up, and you push on and the thing boots itself up and it's ready. And I say, now do something with it. You go, well, well I don't have any programs in there. I can't write. I can't draw. I can't do a spreadsheet. I can't go on the Web. Why? 
you have a machine with no uh, ability to compute, but no program to compute with. A child, when it's created, the brain is the computer. It's all ready to go. It's all primed. But there's no program. So if a child starts out at life with a computer with no program, then what's the function? The answer is no function. So nature has designed the system to download programs from the last trimester of pregnancy through the first seven years. And this is uh, accomplished because the functioning of a brain, we put wires on your head, EEG, electroencephalograph, I read your brain function, guess what? First seven years, it's predominantly a vibration lower than the vibration of consciousness. It's not even affecting consciousness, it's affecting subconscious. So the first seven years is the opportunity to put into your computer the programs by which you're going to carry out life. And when you get to be seven, then you can start to manipulate the programs and work with the programs, okay? But the point about it is this. You came blank slate, no program, but you have to fit into a family. You have to fit into a community. I say, well, how many, how many rules do I have to learn? I say, well, hell, if I gave you a book of all the behaviors necessary to be a functional member of family and community, hundreds and hundreds of pages. I say, well, an infant has to learn really quickly how to become a member of the family. And I say, well, how are they going to do that? And the answer is profound. And the answer is this. They just record the programs by observing the parents, the siblings, and the community. In that lower vibration before age seven called theta, it's characterized in the child behaviorally as imagination. So that's how children have the tea party and they pour nothing into the cup and they drink and go, oh, that was the best tea I ever had. That's theta, okay? But theta is also hypnosis. So whatever we observe... It's recorded as a just like a video recording of that's the behavior. That's the behavior. I observe all how the family relates, how the parents relate, how the community relates. I, I'm not learning by studying. I am downloading. So the fundamental programs. And so we're coming to a point here that's critical. The fundamental programs that operate your life did not come from you. They came from observing other people. Ah, uh, and if they have a defect in their program, well, so do you. <laughs> and that's how we grow up to be like our parents. But if there are positive things as well, like uh, a child in a family of musicians grows up and they become a musician. They say, oh, they had the gene for music. I go, that had nothing to do with genes. It had to do with the ability of a program of learning how to do music. OK, so we acquire our, our abilities in the first seven years by observing other people. And then the biggest flashing red light comes on now and goes, danger, danger, danger. I go, what is it? I go, 70% of the programs that we apparently download are disempowering, self-sabotaging, and limiting beliefs. Uh, uh, one of the most important limiting beliefs right now is, who takes care of your health? And the idea is, well, according to program for most people, when you're sick, we go to the doctor. Ah, so what's the learning period in that younger age is like, when I am sick, I don't take care of me, I have to go to the doctor. And then all of a sudden, I can have a healing. Now, the little there's a joke, which I think is kind of funny. And that is this, I say, we are capable of self healing to begin with. But then we put a program in there that says what? Oh, first, you have to go to the doctor. 
So mommy goes if she's sick, daddy if he's sick, you go. And I say, so what's the program? When you're sick, go to the doctor. I say, well, why is that relevant? Because that's where you're going to get the healing from, okay? Now the joke. How many people on the way to the doctor or sitting in the doctor's office all of a sudden feel like, geez, I'm not so sick anymore. I feel okay. I don't feel so bad like I did when I left home. I go, that's the joke. The joke was this. Nobody said the doctor had to do anything. You were capable of healing, but now you put a step, a block in the way. It says before healing, go to the doctor. But nobody said then the doctor will do this, 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 this. Nope, nope, nope. Just go. And I say, so what happens? So, well, the moment you go, you unleashed the self-healing, which was always there in the first place, but you forestalled it. But I say, before I do healing, first I go to the doctor. So uh, that's a little, uh, yes, I feel so much better waiting here for the doctor. Maybe I don't need the doctor. Right. Right. So, I mean, it's just remarkable how powerful these programs are in our lives. And like you said, they're subconscious. They become absolutely the thoughts that sabotage our well-being. And, and as I read your book, The Honeymoon Effect, talking about how they also um, can really sabotage us in relationship. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, uh, the programs generally get in the way of relationships that the relationships work when you stop playing the program. Because if you look at your parents and your family, so few of them are so wonderful that I want to be an exact copy of my parents. It's like, man, not necessarily. I'm, oh, thank I'm, you. <laughs> no, thanks. Uh, and, and the beautiful part about it is it's called subconscious. And I say, well, so what's the meaning of that? And this is necessary. Below consciousness. When you are playing a program from the subconscious, the program is playing without you seeing the program. So, okay, so what we mentioned was the child, when it's born, has to download the programs for seven years, okay? And I say you download it from observing family, etc. Now, fun story. 30-some years, this story has not gathered any cobwebs in 32 years. Here's the story, and the story says... Uh, you have a friend when you when you were growing up or in relationships and you knew your friend's behavior very, very well. And you happen to know your friend's parent. And one day you see your friend is displaying the exact same behavior as their parents. So you, you know, you want to tell your friend you get so excited. You go, hey, Bill, you're just like your dad. Back away from Bill. Bill is going to go totally ballistic. I'm nothing like my dad. What makes you think I'm like my dad? And everyone laughs. Well, for 32 years, what it really means is everyone understands it. I said, no, let me explain it even a more fulfilling way. Bill gets the download of his father's behavior in the first seven years. Bill plays that behavior when he is not paying attention because it's an automatic behavior. Because he's not paying attention, that means he's not even looking at the behavior. So when the behavior is coming out, whether it's positive or negative, he doesn't see it. But everybody else does. So everybody goes, oh, you're just like your dad. And he's going, I don't know what you guys are talking about. Uh, and, and the reason is this, because, okay, let's get to the whole crux of the problem. Conscious mind, creative, connected to our unique identity, our spirituality. Each one is different. Subconscious mind, habitual, 
programs, push button, play program, push button. Okay. Now the issue is this conscious mind, not only can control where we're going to go in our lives. So imagine the body like a vehicle, conscious mind's hands on the wheel, driving me, conscious mind being creative has my wishes and desires. Oh, I want to be healthy. I want to be successful. I want to have a great, whatever it is you want, that's creative. So I say, good, that's where the creation comes from. Now, when the conscious mind is thinking, all of a sudden it's not paying attention to what's going on in the world because thinking is inside. So, you know, I say, Stephanie, tell, tell me what you're doing on Friday. Now, presumably there's no little uh, agenda, you know, a little book for you to look at right now. And if I asked you to tell me what you're doing on Saturday, where's the answer for that question if you had to answer me right now? inside yeah in here yeah so then conscious mind which is driving says excuse me i have to go inside now and get the answer to that and conscious mind lets go of the wheel i go well geez if i'm on the highway driving the car and the conscious mind lets go of the wheels I'm, oh my god am i going to get in an accident i go no because subconscious is autopilot it knows mm -hmm. how to drive, it knows how to walk, it knows how to talk, it knows how to do the things you do a lot because of habit. So when conscious mind all of a sudden has a thought, it lets go of the wheel, goes inside, and immediately subconscious steps in, autopilot, and puts its hands on the wheels. Ah, but here's the difference. In my conscious mind, I have wishes and desires where I want to go. In my subconscious program, I have downloaded the behavior of other people where they're going. And if they're not going in a good place, then when I let go of the control and subconscious steps in, I'm not going to a good place. I'm playing the program. And because my conscious mind was inside thinking, what am I doing today? Where am I going tomorrow? What happened last week? What's the future happening? Thoughts. While I'm doing that thinking, the automatic program is running, but it came from other people. And if it's positive or negative, I personally do not see the behavior. All I see is the result. At the end of the day, did I get to my destination of wishes and desires? The answer is no. Nope. <laughs> I go, why not? And the answer, and the numbers are critical, 95% of the day is the amount of time the average person spends thinking. And if a person is thinking 95% of the day, then by definition, their life is being controlled 95% of the day by the program that they receive, you know, receive from other people. So all of a sudden it says, are you running your life? And I say, about 5%. Because 95%, my life is being controlled by programs that I got from other people. And all of a sudden, it says, Jesus, I wonder I can't go where I want to go because the program that I got doesn't take me there. Uh, except average Joe Bill does not see this program because it's invisible. Why? Because conscious is looking inside for an answer. Subconscious is running the show. And then Here's the average problem for the average person. I wake up in the morning, destination, success, health, relationship, whatever. I come home at the end of the day going, oh, oh another day. It didn't happen. And then now you have to put in the, the, you know, the what is the mechanism here? And the mechanism is this. Conscious mind said, well, I wanted to be successful. Reality says, no, I'm not. So who's to blame? And the point is, well, it can't be me. I'm the one who wanted to be successful. So I am a victim of circumstances, nature, life, blah, blah, blah. Why? Because this is not what I chose, but this is what I got. 
And all of a sudden, that when you make the word victim in your life, you've just automatically disempowered yourself because victim means I have no power. And, and the reality is, well, because we blame the outside. Why? It was invisible. We were shooting ourselves in the foot the entire day, and we're the only one who didn't see that the gun was in our own hand. And so you got this bloody foot and a smoking gun, and you're still trying to figure out who the hell shot me. <laughs> and the reality is, well, you've been shooting yourself in the foot all day, but like Bill, you didn't see the behavior. All you see is the outcome. If you could change your life and help change the world at the same time. Hi, I'm Stephanie James, host of The Spark on NOCO FM. Join me and some of the most important people in psychology, spirituality, and science for a very special event. The Spark Summit, October 26, 2019 at the Drake Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Together, we'll learn how to heal ourselves using the latest breakthroughs and self-improvement with interactive keynotes from luminaries such as Jacob Lieberman, Misa Hopkins, Larry Dossie, and many more. Ignite your own spark of hope to illuminate a journey towards living your best life. Join me at the Spark Summit, October 26, 2019, at the Drake Center in Fort Collins, Colorado. Tickets and more information at thesparksummit2019.com. That's thesparksummit2019.com. No, but this, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to be talking about because I want to help people to move from exactly what you're talking about. The victim mentality, you know, I see it in my office all the time as a psychotherapist, you know, couples that come in and one or both have no idea why they're running these behavior patterns. And I'm not an angry person. So why am I exploding when my, my wife corners me, you know, or something, you know, these patterns that continually yeah. run and cause disruption in our lives. And then, yeah, then we see the victim stance come up. And so we got to help empower people so they can figure it out that they're not powerless to change this. So let's first uh, help them a lot. And here's where we're going to help them. You were being programmed, as I said, as the brain is developing, it's got a system for operation, but it's got no programs. The program starts in the last trimester of pregnancy and goes through the first seven years. And I go, what's the relevance of this programming? And the answer is this. It's done without your consciousness being present. That's why you got programmed. So now, Stephanie, I say, um, hey, tell me the program you got when you were zero. What? <laughs> okay, tell me the program you got when you were one. Nope. Two. Mm, three. Now I might have some idea, okay? Mm -hmm. But I say, well, wait. You don't know what your program is. Why? Because you were not conscious when the program was being, you know, downloaded. Downloaded, yeah. Okay, and you didn't see the program. You were just receiving a program. And I say, oh, my God, then what are my programs? Now, the convenience of this, 95% of your life is coming from the subconscious program. So by definition, your life is a printout of your behavioral programs. 
I go, what does that mean? I said, well, just look at your life, and here's the, the differential. The things that you like and you desire, and they come into your life, how did they get there? And I go, because you had a program that acknowledges that and brings it in. But then here's the one I want everybody to stop for a second. Here it goes. The things that you desire and wish for, but you have to work really hard for it. You have to stress yourself over it. You have to put a lot of effort into things. And I say, so tell me, uh, why are you working so hard to create your wish and your desire? And the answer is this, is because your subconscious does not have a program to support that end. Your conscious has a vision. Your subconscious says that's not in the program. And so struggle is what? Struggle is Conscious wishes and desires trying to override subconscious programs. And I say, well, that's 5% of the day conscious, 95% of the day program. You got trouble. And, and so the idea is, so what are my programs? I go, well, that's easy. What is it you want that you can't readily get? And I'll tell you, inevitably underneath, there's a program that says that's not available to you. And now all of your work and your effort is to manifest that against a program that's operating 95% of the time that will prevent you from getting there. Until well, and Bruce, some, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Until somebody goes into your office and gets a nice, wonderful, homey feeling, and then you give them a story, and then now they are empowered. That's what your job's all about. <laughs> well, I was wondering, to help bring it into context a little bit, can you share an example? You, you shared some great examples of your own, like, relationship conditioning and the honeymoon effect just to kind of give it some context, so people understand what, like, what was your programming and then the shift for you? To me, that was the most major thing in my life. And the idea is what, what did I learn? What are relationships all about? How do they work? What are the dynamics? I go, oh, that was programmed into me because the teachers, my mother and father representing what relationships are all about, I downloaded their relationship. And now in hindsight, you look back and go, Hell, I don't want that. That doesn't work. Well, I know it doesn't work because most of my life operating from without a knowledge of this subconscious programming, I was seeking the kind of relationship that my wishes and desires thought were possible. And it always failed. And it even got to the point that even my conscious mind said, oh, maybe there is no such thing as love. Maybe that's Hollywood and books and stories. And I'm not there and I'm not going to get it. Once I got into the nature of, oh, my God, 95% of my life I'm playing my parents' behavior. No wonder I couldn't get the relationship I want, okay? I had to all of a sudden go back and say, this programming sucks, and I need to put in some different programming. And I started to learn, uh, and I think one of the most important things, not just for myself, but I think for almost everybody out there, is something that most of us fail to acquire and I know this because in uh, programs where we do belief change modification work, uh, one of the questions we ask starting off, uh, test yourself for I love myself. And you're going to find that, as we did, over 80% of every audience will not test positive for I love myself. And the reason is because during our development, we were so criticized by parents who were trying to help us, but not recognizing their criticism is being downloaded like a video recorder straight into my subconscious. And I don't have the consciousness to understand what they're meaning. So uh, if I'm at Kmart and my dad's pushing me around in a carriage and I go by the toy aisle and all of a sudden I get, oh, oh, I want the 
toys and everything. And my dad wants to get out and he yells at me, you don't deserve that. And then pushes me through. And I say, what did I learn from that? And I said, the only thing I learned was a recording. I do not deserve. And I said, is there any limits on this? Or is it I do not deserve today or forever? No, I just do not deserve. And I say, so that was put into me when I was five years old. And now I'm 50 years old. I go, so what? And I say, 5% of my life, I know I'm very capable, successful. I can do any damn thing I want. But 95% of my life, I'm being run automatically by a program that has what? I do not deserve, period. And I say, so relevance? Okay. One of these, I wish I had lines and underline, highlight, put exclamation point. The function of the mind is to create coherence between my beliefs and my reality. So if my belief is I do not deserve, what do you think the function of the mind is? Is to manifest behavior to prove back to me I'm not deserving. I will sabotage myself and then I'll walk around, God, I really thought I could do that, but apparently I, I guess I, I can't do that. I don't deserve this or whatever it is. I say that from when you were five years old, but I don't care because habits have no time. Subconscious is not a linear mechanism. It's just a record program. I do not deserve if I could ask my subconscious, when did you get that program? My subconscious would likely say, today. Why? It doesn't know time. So even if it was five years old when the program it was put in, and I'm 50 years old now, subconscious doesn't know that there's time lapsed in there at all. I still do not deserve. And so... I had to rewrite that program first to love myself. Why? For a very simple reason. <laughs> the logic of it is overwhelming. If you can't love yourself and someone else says they love you, then you have to go, well, I, they got poor quality control because I know I'm not lovable. What are they? they don't know anything. And then what will I do in this relationship? Unconsciously, I will sabotage it. And then when they leave, guess what I'm going to say? Yep. I didn't deserve that relationship. Yep, I didn't deserve it. And it's like, no, you were the one that killed it, Lipton. <laughs> You're the one that did that. And so uh, the idea is we look at our behavior and the things that don't work for us, uh, because 95% of that is subconscious, is just a reflection of programming, not the universe having any particular grudge against us. The universe, and as quantum physics also stipulates, our consciousness is manifesting as reality. If I have a consciousness of not deserving, then my reality is characterized by not receiving things or not being loved or whatever those programs are. So you can see the manifestation of this in our behavior, in what's going on in our environment. And so that can be really the window for us to start having awareness like, oh, I need to pay attention. This is what's not working in my life. There's probably some roots of some subconscious belief here that I need to yank out so I can change my reality here. I can change my circumstances, my life. Absolutely. You know, and, and this is the difference between placebo and nocebo. This is the difference between a person who has cancer, uh, two people that get cancer, same cancer. But the, here's the difference in the psychology. One of them is programmed with the belief, oh, Cancer cells have stupid genes, and therefore the cells are stupid, and not me, but the damn genes are stupid, and the cells stupid. So if I get chemotherapy and radiation, I kill all the stupid cells, I'm going to be healthy again. 
Okay, the other person knows darn well genes did not cause cancer, but it was a character of lifestyle, not living in harmony. Okay, and when I get the diagnosis of cancer, instead of saying, oh, the cells were stupid, I turn around and go, my life is not in harmony. And if I can change my life, then I can change my, my disease. And the answer is absolutely, that's the spontaneous remission that happens. And I go, so what was the difference between two people? It's a matter of belief. One says, I'm a victim of stupid cells. The other one says, I have created the cancer. If I'm a victim, I can't do anything about it. Guess what? That person is likely to get the cancer again because they never did anything to st you know, stop the problem. The other one is the one that changes it. Oh, my God, my life's not in harmony. I have to change the way I respond to this world. And in changing, then they're the ones that are not likely to get the cancer again because it was they that created the cancer. Uh, I, I, oh, when I say that, and I know a lot of people just got, eh, I created my own cancer. <laughs> and of course, the first thing your mind is going to go, I wouldn't create cancer. And I go, well, your conscious mind didn't create cancer. Uh, but people, when hearing that there's personal responsibility, this is really important. Once we understand this is we are personally responsible for all the characteristics in our life, a lot of people will turn that right off going, I'm not owning the cancer. I didn't do that. I'm not owning the failure of all my relationships. They did that and all that stuff. And I go, well, here's a problem. People, when hearing the character of self-responsibility, often then connected with shame, guilt, blame, victim, I am a victim of cancer. I, I, I wouldn't create cancer. Shame? No, I wouldn't do this to me. And I go, well, no, you didn't do it. Your subconscious did. But they rejected why? Because of these words are weighted. Victim, blame, blame myself for cancer? I go, okay, let's take these words out of, con out of the dialogue for this reason. Every one of these words, victim, blame, shame, you know, each one of these things represents an important understanding, and that is this. I know there's a correct way to do something, and in spite of that knowledge, I have chosen to do something different. Okay, now I'm responsible. Why? I knew there was a right way, but now I choose not to do it. So that's a matter of choice. Blame, victim, shame. That, that's because you chose. But then I go, hey, if you had no awareness of what we're talking about, you're ignorant of this fact, then you cannot be blamed for the outcome. A simple thing, my car is standard shift. And I say, hey, look, take my car to town and get something. And you say, well, I don't know how to drive standard shift. And I say, nah, just go and take it. And then the car jerking, bucking around. And then I get a phone call from you. Oh, the car's broken. It's not working anymore. Do I have the right to yell at you and blame you for, well, you stupid idiot, you ruined the clutch. No, I can't do that. Why? You had no knowledge, and therefore you are not responsible. But, Stephanie, now that we've talked about this, and now the knowledge is sneaking out there, then people have to recognize, wait, I have responsibility in this. But before, I didn't. But now that I do, then it's responsible upon me to live in a different way, to live with the knowledge of I'm creating this and I'm creating disharmony and disharmony is what disease is based on. Well, and actually that's the point of power, Bruce. 
Yes, it surely is. I mean, mean, that that is what's so exciting. You know, when we can absolutely own our entire experience, that's the point of power for us to be able to make substantial change in our lives. That is one of the most wonderful things you've ever said to me, Stephanie, because it's so absolutely true. (laughs) In our long, long relationship. (laughs) But that's what people have to hear. Bruce and I were having so much fun that we couldn't fit it all into just one episode. Our conversation continues next week. You know, one of the things I really took away from this episode is how we can move out of victim stance into true empowerment when we take responsibility for everything in our lives. Bruce talked about how the function of our mind is to create cohesion between beliefs and reality. Our mind is always scanning the environment for evidence of what it already believes. And since 95% of our lives are being run by our unconscious mind, we can feel like we have little power to change it. But we actually do have the power to reprogram our beliefs. I thought it was really interesting when he talked about our beliefs are already pre-programmed. From when we come into this world to seven years old, we're in theta brainwave state. And in that state, we're just taking in everything around us. So we take in our parents' relationship and what that looks like. We take in how people respond and react to us. And then that becomes our belief system. And as we become aware that this 95% of subconscious belief is also basically ruling 95% of our lives, we can start taking intentional action to change this. I definitely have taken his advice and utilized the evening programming of new beliefs into my mind. And you guys, I have noticed such a huge result already in my life. So I feel happier. I feel more joy. And even though I'm optimistic, I truly have felt even more sparks ignite within me. And so not only am I happier, I'm also experiencing a depth of happiness that I haven't felt before. So I'm excited for you guys to try this and see the results it has in your own life. So join us next week when we get together once again for this continued phenomenal conversation with Dr. Bruce Lipton as he teaches us about how we can create what he calls the honeymoon effect in our relationships. So bringing more joy, consciousness and connection to our relationships and to our lives. Remember, The Spark is your show, too. If you have questions, feedback on the show, or if you're going through something and need a little help, we'd love to hear from you. Continue the conversation with us at our website, thesparkpod.com, and on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. New episodes of The Spark air Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Mountain. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, wherever you get your podcasts. The show is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional and should not be considered medical advice. If you're having a mental or physical health crisis, please seek treatment immediately. The Spark is produced by NOCO Media Limited, which is solely responsible for its content. Thanks again for listening. This has been The Spark, igniting your best life. I'm Stephanie James.
This has been a production of NOCO FM.